0: They just came on now. Let's try to get
1: closer to the stage. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Can get there? million. Do
0: you want to go on my shoulders? What? <laughs> Sorry. Do
1: you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ae forward slash music. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest has written seven books of poetry, has had a long term involvement in the organization of poetry events, has directed the Australian Poetry Festival three times, is the deputy chair of Australian Poetry Limited. He's the poetry reviewer for Mianjin, has edited a number of collections, and is here today to read from and talk about his new book ground. Martin Langford, welcome. Hi, Maggie. So, Ground is a book about spaces, those we inhabit, those we create, those we've created in the past. Um, talk to me a little bit about this and the evolution of the book as a collection.
0: Well, it began with the notion that we are as dependent on the nature of the spaces we inhabit as we are on the choices we make within them, and that those spaces keep changing and evolving And uh, the sorts of what what we're allowed to do actually is limited by the nature of the spaces um, we inhabit. Um, A very I I don't know simple example might simply be that if you if you live in a very rough and tumble environment where the male hierarchies, uh, you're not allowed to vary your thought. Process is very much from those that uh, obtain in that hierarchy. So um, it seems to me that that part of what we do is is an endless search for more productive, more creative spaces. And uh, while we've come a long way towards creating spaces that allow people to be inventive in uh there's still a no long way to go, and so with that idea as a background i I wanted to write a book about the the evolution of Australian spaces, which had started so violently and uh brutally but which also had the potential for a lot of um as it were quick evolution into some into some um good places with them as well and so that was the kind of abstract uh, seed for the book
1: mm. and uh, and then you built the poetry around that seed did you
0: yeah there's, there's a fair bit of background reading there I mean some years this is a, a book that's taken perhaps 12 years uh, to write uh, on and off because there have been other uh, pressures But um uh so some of it has just been been historical and maybe the first third of the book is really uh just visiting um the the history uh and some of it is an attempt to think about the situation we're in now uh where where we are in danger with with a, a sort of unblinkered uh, devotion to capitalism. We're in da- we're in danger of, uh, of of sort of endlessly writing over each other mm. because we're just so obsessed with our own particular capitalist story. So there's there's probably still a long way to go before we're really making sensible decisions and creating really really good spaces. But we're yeah you know, we're a work in progress.
1: And, and it's really interesting too um, that you you know you had this notion you wanted to explore and you decided in the end w- or throughout to use poetry as a means for that exploration. Why was that? What drew you to poetry as a way to explore these notions of spaces and capitalism? Uh,
0: uh, I mean, I mean, sort of the, the dumb answer is that that I'm a poet and that's that's the way I do my thinking, I guess.
1: Mm. Um, it's your medium.
0: I, Sorry, Maggie. Yeah.
1: No, it's just saying it's your medium of choice. Yeah,
0: it's my it's my medium. It's it's the way that I I um engage with things I guess. Um I I have absolutely no <laughs> doubt as a poet, as a partisan, that uh poetry gives you the most comprehensive engagement of any medium. Uh for the issues that you that you might deal with, it doesn't give you the most developed sense of arguments. But what it does give you, it pinpoints the key cruises. And in fact, that's what a poem often is—a um, a, a little moment where the absolute key tensions um, bubble to the surface. So uh, it it still seems to me, if you, can, if you can grapple with your ideas that way, that it's the most resonant way of being able to do it.
1: Mm. Yes, and I, I suppose poetry also allows for all sorts of subtle, complex things to happen, rhythmically, sonically, um, in addition to, to the semantics, but it also allows simultaneity, doesn't it, in, in terms of time, for example?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Um it sure does. Uh it it seems poetry's got a completely different attitude towards time to to narrative because uh you know, narrative wants to take you from one place to another in a different time. And um poetry's it, it as, as, explores one uh situation. As if all the pressures on it were occurring at exactly the same moment. So um, very different, yeah.
1: Mm. A- and uh, I- I'm thinking in particular uh, the chronica section and, and the first poem, dragonfly one, in which you equate. And I I I really think poetry is the only medium you could probably do this in. But you you manage to equate a dragonfly, which is of course quite ephemeral, with you know rock formations.
0: I think I think you're right. I think <laughs> I think that poetry probably is is the only uh, medium you could use. You could probably do it in prose. It wouldn't it wouldn't work um, quite as. I don't think it'd be very difficult to make it work in prose.
1: Mm. Yeah. So could you read? Would it, Would you be able to read uh, one yeah. dragonfly what?
0: Sure, dragonfly. Mm. The layers of rock to the southwest of Sydney were tilted and raised, and as long as it takes. a dragonfly's flight to change tack its wings made the faintest of hums the clear braided streams from the mountains bore coarse grains to Camden and Lithgow round Gosford up north while dragonflies mated the ground to the northeast was flexed the rivers from southwest the rivers from northwest kept laying down grains, building ply. While mandibles sliced through a net, the leasing athean was gouging its way through the strata. A dragonfly dried out its cheating while lapstone reared west and the river slid east. The sea level rose and eased back like adjustments in hover. The suck and dilation of glass, dense exchange with the trees. Streams carved through echoes of spine bills. A dragonfly glinted like, splinted like seepage on unweathered rockfalls, like quartz in the sun. Mm-hmm.
1: So the role of the dragonfly, talk to me about that in this poem, uh, uh, against the role of, say, evolution.
0: Well, I mean, it's a kind of double thing. One, I was attracted to the dragonfly because it's such an ancient animal that uh, it worked through very long periods of geological time anyway. It it would be there while all those processes were happening. So that was a kind of attraction rather than, say, using a recent uh, creature. But there is also it's a, it's ephemeral nature that it lives for a couple of days and uh, um, and visually <laughs> you look at it and what, one minute the next minute it's, it's it's disappeared again it's you know further up the creek so <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> um, just for the the contrast um, it was it was a kind of ideal. Uh, uh, animal to to pick if you wanted to uh, play it against the, the slower processes of, of geology. And uh, as for the geology, I just came across a, 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 a kind of an old, funny little geological manual from 50, 70 years ago, describing the processes around the uh, rocks in the Sydney Basin. I just kind of... Uh, Incorporated them into the poem.
1: Mm. I, I, I also love this. I, I hadn't thought of that. Um, this idea of the dragonfly being, you know, around for such a long time either. But there's a, a beautiful play, isn't there, between the ephemeral nature of an individual dragonfly and the lasting nature of the species.
0: The, yes, there is. I mean, a, a kind of background to it is that we are not so different. That mm. we are, we are dragonflies too, after all. You know, it's, there's a there's not much poetry these days which isn't informed, say, by Buddhist um, uh, perception, and there's, there's without without sort of referencing it deliberately. I I just think it's it, it's kind of snuck into um, into our ways of thinking, mm. particularly about nature and about time. That uh, it it just happens to, to creep in anyway. So there's, there's there has grown to be a great overlap between Western perspectives and Eastern ones. At,
1: at least in poetry, where I think it's yes. uh, it's natural to to use those tools or think in those ways.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean I think for a long time the East was much better at getting the ephemeral nature of life because because many Western uh, beliefs resisted that but science has swung around to being in line with buddhism i think and uh and we have we have a much uh more developed sense now i think of the ephemeral nature of our lives mm-hmm. than um than our predecessors did
1: Yes, I, I'm not sure that every scientist would agree with you, but I, I certainly no, I, I, see, I, I see those links myself too. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I think um okay. I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for many.
1: yes, no, for sure. Yeah. sure. And uh, look, yeah. you talked about the violent beginnings, and certainly um history plays out in the book quite dramatically, doesn't it? Um history in the sense of, I guess, incidence, but also in the sense of this progression times arrow.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, the 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 bottom line is, this was a country that was invaded by people who happened to have a few uh, superior technological uh, skills at the time, and um, it only exists because those those skills were put into practice. Um, there's nothing else to it you know it, it the, that old nonsense that the um aborigines just faded away for some reason in before a superior technology or civilization was just nonsense they they resisted as best they could, but they they had no no chance really uh, given the discrepancy in um yeah, in, in military terms.
1: Mm, that's right um, so on that note then can I get you to read the massacres it's, it's page 36
0: well this, this poem is also of course just a little it's a little assertion of impatience with the um, with the historians who kind of fought that rearguard battle against uh, the fact that these massacres really did exist that they happened, that you can hear the ghosts at Honolmere, the chains, the children's cries, the trooper's horse, at Pigeon Creek, at Forest River, the woman who's rocking her baby before the men fire, that death is in awe of our spectra. It is length load in all jurisdictions. It inhabits my body, my bed. No late smiles, no gifts will undo them. Whatever your story, if these deaths aren't there at the start, it is just shine for kids. But the white settlers rode into camp, their guns blazing, That black men were shot in the back. That Kuntura Point and Bluff Rock weren't exceptional days. That the crows formed long hues to wind foundation threads through our fabric. That this is no artistic story. Where griefs are transformed by the skill of the pen into grace that the vertebrae settle through mud at like tears and the bones nudge through earth at Kilcoy that the new dispensation is poised between language and instinct
1: that was quite the reading (laughs) thank you for that um, I've got gels. See uh... that uh,
0: th- th- that last line is mm. is really uh, it is one of the, I-, I guess, threads running through the book, which is mm. that that language is what defines us uh, away from our instincts, and I suppose I take quite a bleak view of many of our instincts, leave us to ourselves, and we are. Le- leave us unmediated by language, and we are uh, paramed and hierarchical and uh dangerous and um in many ways, our hope is language and our our capacity to uh imagine ourselves um beyond uh our uh, a passion for hierarchical instincts. So uh that's a kind of grander battle that I see being played out all the time in society mm-hmm. between uh the way between the idealisms which come from language and uh these inner angers for more power, more uh self assertion, more status that um that we want to just uh project over people around us often you know.
1: yes, yes, and I wonder if this is also another reason why you were drawn to to writing this idea to writing this book in in a poetic form, because you know you don't offer a solution, you don't offer an easy answer, you certainly don't pretty it up, um, but yet there's transcendence, isn't there
0: well, um I mean the closest closest I do come to offering a Solution is that is the sequence at the end called uh, ground itself, where I try to. I, I what I want what I try to do is to uh, uh, offer the idea of uh, relationships as a dance, mm. rather than as that endless capitalist overwriting. Of the other, so that that's it's not. I mean, it's 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 hardly a sort of uh, answer for every situation, but it's it's a kind of gesture that um, it's much better to negotiate with the other as an equal than to try and overwrite them. And um, I, I guess that's as close as I do come to uh, to off- offering a preferred kind of way of thinking about things, at least.
1: Yes, it doesn't undo the past, but it offers a, a way to move forward.
0: Yes, yeah, I think so. I think that any ways forward are going to be negotiated and and interactive, as opposed to where um, one person coming in with uh, with big fists or big dollars.
1: Yes. So I, I will definitely ask you to read we'll, we'll make make time for the King Kingfisher's Wings Because it's to me it's one of my favorite poems in the book But before we get to that um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about those layers um, Particularly as they play out in the Sydney poems and, and just for fun, a, a true story I was actually sitting on the train <laughs> Going up the northern suburbs and reading your book And uh, opened the page to Gordon Just as the train was pulling into Gordon
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> those those little uh, moments are are, are are one of the little pleasures of um, of, of reading, aren't they? That, that uh, yes,
1: little serendipities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I I feel that there's an, a really um, interesting, uh, I guess, correspondence between where we are now. You know, the modern Sydney, the Sydney suburbs. Um where people you know live their lives they work and they, they there's a shimmer and there's a flow, but also there's all of these layers of history that are sitting there and they are almost interacting as ghosts with the modern
0: yeah i mean i they, they still i think they still have an active part in our imaginations and actually to to the extent that they affect the way we make decisions um you know they they're still part of our self image uh, and we select, we draw on them selectively to um, when we want to, to. You know, something like Lipley is, is uh, drawn on um, as a as a part of uh, Australian self-image, for instance. And if they if they want to emphasise a certain uh, aspect of um, of our behaviour, then they they will call on the past as a kind of um, uh, Subtle, imaginative, moral guardian—kind <laughs> of uh, stiffness, stiffness in some way, or, or, or influences in some other way.
1: Yes, and, uh, in a way, almost opposite to this dance that you're talking about, because it's a—it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a stopping point, isn't it? It's a—it's a, a stereotype or it's a, a caricature. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah
1: as yeah. opposed to something in motion. Yes, yes. Mm. So, can I get you to read Sydney, which is seventy-nine?
0: Okay. This is really a poem about the harbour. There is a CBD, but no town centre. Just a loose plane of shimmer and flow where all consequence ends. People flock down to it, not to exchange their ideas, but to set them aside. Someone keeps making a point, but the listeners vague out when the seagulls tilt sideways. Flux scatters all clear alternatives. They drift in the pooling of light with a need to push on. Not like the old river down where it flowed in the depths of the great shaded valley. That was a purpose, to get to the ocean. Climate change ended all that no no, matter people come down just to sit by the luminance closer than words
1: I feel in this poem that Sydney almost becomes metaphoric
0: Um, possibly um, what were you thinking of?
1: well like a synecdoche you know as as if Sydney were the world in a way
0: Uh, Well, it it probably is in in that respect. It's informed by a belief that the world is actually more present than language. So (laughs) this is another idea that kind of floats through the book, which is that one of the ideas, which is quite quite around at the moment, is that language is so... uh, so everywhere that it, it it's actually replacing the world and I think that's a really dangerous idea mm. and uh, language is an engagement with the world but it is not an alternative and when the only thing in a person's imagination becomes language they actually seems to me they become um, disconnected Uh from the planet, and and somehow we have to remember that that physical universe is primary. So, if there's anything that attract, I was attracted by the by the way that people will go down just to f- sit by the harbour and kind of vague out and not care about what they're thinking, and somehow the. Um, that the compelling nature of the water and the like, uh, probably is a, a kind of um, metaphor for, in fact, the way that we behave more broadly in, in the world in general.
1: Mm. Yes, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting, there's so much of the natural world in this poetry, and yet I, I don't feel that it's a kind of eco poem uh, or, or eco poetry. Uh, you know that maybe because there's such a philosophical thrust, um, and maybe because its time and space are so so much the focus. I
0: yeah. I mean I. I think eco poetry is ex- extraordinarily difficult to write. Um, part, one of the reasons is because of the, for one. The, just backtracking, moment. It wasn't the main focus of of this book. Although I, I've got no no doubt that it it's um, it it should be an absolutely central focus of our imaginations. No question. We have to learn how to live properly with with the natural world, and uh, we're certainly not doing that in the cities at the moment. Um, that said. Uh, one of the problems one of the difficulties with writing eco-poetry is that people I think poets are struggling to articulate uh, uh, with sufficient um, theatre the interaction of the human and the natural world Mm. Um, that it's uh but that, that's actually taking me a little bit away from from the discussion of the book. But uh, no, it, it's you're, you're right. It's not um, it's not a uh, book of eco poetry. I've, I've written eco poetic poems, and it's it's an area of great interest to me. But this book doesn't happen to be to be it, I guess.
1: Yes, and yet the last word. <laughs> effectively um is the kingfisher and i and I love how it picks up the dragonfly in the beginning as well to to me, I see a correspondence between those two things that <laughs> <maybe> <laughs> you know, maybe it's I hadn't just the actually colours.
0: thought of that but <laughs> but yes, I'm hanging around creekside yeah an awful lot yeah that yeah. that's that's true just so maybe its just the, that
1: vibrant you know iridescent shade or the flash of yeah away.
0: well um so the the Background to the Kingfisher is, a, is I'll, I'll say a couple of things before it because that might help kind of contextualize it. One is <clears throat> that having spent most of the rest of the book thinking about the nature of these spaces, I also wanted to put an elegy in there because the, crea- the, the creation of these spaces is actually a very painful process. And a great deal of uh, grief and suffering has gone down, because they are not created cost-free, and sometimes they have to be fought for. Uh, and, almost, in fact, almost always, to, ma- to make the next breakthrough into better spaces, they, historically at least, they seem to have had to be fought for. And we're we're still a long way from. Um, i think from creating absolutely inclusive creative spaces for everyone the very specific um, thing that prompted line that prompted the, the poem was that was Kenneth Slessor's line in the Beach Burial where he talks of the soldiers who were drifting in Washed up on shore in the second world war he talks he talks of them being now uh, enlisted on the other front, and while that line has never quite sat properly for me in beach burial, it's always fascinated me in terms of what it might mean. So the kingfisher's wings is partly a uh, an attempt to uh, um elaborate on what being enlisted on the other front might mean. For me, it means being enlisted on that broader front of trying to create, I I guess, better creative spaces. Um, Finally, I I chose the idea of Kingfisher's Wings because I wanted something beautiful but very brief and, and evanescent. And if you think of the nature of our grieving compared to the actual amount of suffering that's gone down, it actually—and I know grief can destroy people—but on a worldwide basis, it's actually very slight. So I just wanted some image of something that was was quick and. Um, Quicker yet, and yet still beautiful. Mm.
1: Wonderful preamble. So, could you (laughs) would you read it for us, please? Yeah. The kingfisher's wings.
0: Let us remember them all. It is all the same war. Lay our wings over them. Kingfisher gleams over those who have died in the braiding of spaces. The war between instincts and words, between gestures and genes. The peoples who vanished like clouds in the untallied years, whose tribes were defeated, whose boundaries are shadow and wind. Those who sat down in the lean years because too many bore in the good ones. Those who were herded by iron into corners of drought. Let us feather their bones with our stories, ruffle the air they once breathed with the blue veins of grief. Who were food for the gods, or who died in the turf wars, because they were bloodline, or awful, because they were part of the text that required them to lose. It's all the same battle, The same bitter hormones, the same tumbleweed and kaleidoscope flurry of grounds. Those who became inconvenient, who were dealt on the wrong side of claims. Who were swept from their fields by Napoleon's ants, by Genghis's ants, by Akbar's. Who knelt for the limbs, or who lay down and slept for the drones. The boys who were not the right type, and the women who were. It is all the one war to invent ourselves, human, to word ourselves more than we are. Let us fold them in the azure of our wings. Those who were defeated by their readings, those who played their words against themselves, who died for their freedoms, who died because terrors, like freedom, are too much to bear. Let us brush them with the sheen of our attention, this riffle of lustre, our sorrow, this brief spill of water and light, which is where we begin.
1: That is, that's an amazing poem, and uh, as I say, I think perhaps one of my favourites. I, I love how you turn the reader into a kingfisher through that. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose the answer too is is not just the dance, but the attention, the sheen of our attention.
0: I, I think so. I'm uh, that's well the other thing is is that it's compassion that is one of those things that we give as it were on involuntarily and mm. it is one of our it, it is one of our beauties mm. if you it, it is one of the beautiful things about us that we are capable of this and in a sense it's a small jump from uh a benign thing like compassion to a beautiful thing like uh, a kingfisher's wings. So, uh, um, and and yet it does it. Uh, it doesn't ultimately solve much. It's just that little movement out towards the other, which is somehow at the very heart of. Of our glory, I guess. Mm. So, um, uh, but I, I think that's why I wanted to. It, 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 compassion is a tired old, <laughs> tired old thing to write about. It's kind of difficult to write about, and so I, I needed some way of being able to talk about compassion, um, which didn't just sound as if I was <sighs> being universal and <laughs> General and, and uh, yeah.
1: Yes, I people, think
0: people are starting to yawn. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think you found it.
0: <laughs>
1: so we're almost out of time. But what, what's next for you, Martin? Do you have any projects on the go? Are you another twelve-year book you're working on? <laughs>
0: um, I I think I'd like to have a go at the poetics. Um, I'm I'm interested in the. Uh, And the ideas around writing as well as writing itself so um maybe uh maybe next year I'll, i'll have a little think about that the the um poetry is under a strange strangely it's under a fair bit of attack these days and i just want to kind of uh clarify at least to myself the um the reasons that you might undertake it for
1: okay that sounds wonderful. I'll look forward to that. And uh, and listeners, that's all we have time for. But Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and bye for now.
0: Thank you, Maggie. Thanks for having me.